Hello and welcome to Mike Martin Asks. This week I have another amazing guest for you guys. Now, this guy's got a pretty good backstory. I mean, he was literally fired, okay, from his dream job. You know, when you get that dream job and you think, I'm, I'm set, I'm done for life, I'm going nowhere. During a blizzard, don't know why this, that matters, but it was during a blizzard, the Monday after he bought a brand spanking new car and signed the lease on an apartment. So it's timing in this life, guys. It's timing. Um, so since then, Okay, he's become a celebrity ghostwriter living on a small island in the South Pacific. He's never told me which island it is. And he uses AI every single day to grow his existing business. But not only that, he's a best-selling author and he's written over 300 books. So if you imagine you write a book every working day for a year... (laughs) He's done 300 books. Again, he's a best-selling author. He's now an AI prompt engineer, which is kind of the almost new computer programmers. I think in in the very near future, computer programmers are going to get um, are going to get kicked up the ass and kicked out the door. And it's going to be people that can prompt engineer. So it's very very handy skill to have. Jonathan Green, tell us who you are, my friend. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm just someone who always thought that I would follow the path. Oh, I'll get this job, then I'll get a promotion, then I'll get a promotion. And I was 29 years old and I thought it was my dream job. I was like, I'm in charge of a department. I moved from teaching to being in charge of six teachers. I had a $1.5 million budget. I was in charge of so much authority and they let me go. And it was the best thing and the worst thing that ever happened to me because within six months, I was making more than my boss. And within a year, I was making more than her boss. So it turned out to be the kind of kick out of the nest that I needed because I never thought I could be an entrepreneur, right? We always learn education. No, get a job, work a cubicle, then you can have a window, then you can have two windows and you work your way up. And that's what we're taught to do, but it's so slow. It just takes forever to get anything happening. But when you're in charge of your own destiny, amazing things can happen. Yeah, you t- kind of end up working to pay off a mortgage. You spend your whole life to buy bricks and mortar that really don't mean shit at the end of the day. Um, whereas... In the entrepreneur lifestyle, you can do that in a year and <laughs> you've still got 50 years left to enjoy it. Yeah. With traditional job, you like, can you imagine going to your boss and asking for a 10% raise? Whereas I can just raise my prices by 10% anytime I want. There's so much freedom there to high risk, high reward. It's all on you. You can have a massive success or have a massive failure, but I love the excitement. Like I just love being in the arena. So that's why I love being an entrepreneur. Love the chase. It's the chase, isn't it? It's not even the money. It's the chase. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the project. Uh, I get that completely. So, so where did it all start? Obviously, you said you was a teacher. So, so that 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 really piqued my interest because um, teachers are one of the most respected people in 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 society because they they build our youth, but usually they're uh, pretty poor. So, how did you get into that? What what, what was the beginning like? You know, I bounce around trying different things after college. When you go to college and university, they say, oh, when you graduate, we'll help you get a job. So I, I finished school. I go, okay, great. I went to the jobs office and they just gave me a link to monster.com. I don't even know if that site's around, but it was like a job search site. I was like, that's it. They're like, good luck. And I looked around. I was like, how many of you guys went to school here? And they all went to my university. I go, oh, you're the ones who failed. That's why you're here. You didn't leave. You never went out of the nest. You're still here. That's They don't know anything about it. So I started doing tutoring and I would tutor at schools and places that no one else would go. So the really bad neighborhoods, the really bad schools, like I taught at a school that would constantly have lockdowns and gunshot alerts. And I was like, that's fine. You know, I'm just a temporary teacher. It's no big deal. And I got all the jobs that the other teachers would quit. And I thought, oh, this is pretty cool. And I tried different teaching things. And then I did one of those things where you go and teach high school in Japan for two years. 
Then I went to London and got a master's degree. And from there, I was able to start teaching at universities. And then I jumped from university to university and I was working my way up. And I, at 29, I was like, there's no more up. I was at the peak of that entire industry and it was not a great salary. I was excited at the time. It was $36,000 a year. They go, but with your benefits, it's like getting 60. I was like, yeah, but can I just have the 60? And they said, <laughs> no. Just want, and, you, and I realized I'm not very good at um, bureaucracy. So they would give me a task. So like, this should take you three to six months. And I finished it in like 45 minutes. And I was like, oh no. I don't know how to slow roll like that. I don't know how to make a task take forever. Like they would give me these things that like supposed to be impossible. Like, oh, you got to plan a school trip for all the kids in this department. It has to be absolutely free. It has to be connected to their sponsor. And I created this amazing trip. I found a free van because it was near a satellite campus of the school we could ride and everything. And it still took me like two hours. So every time they would give me an impossible task, because I didn't grow up in bureaucracy where you do a lot of faking it and a lot of building time, I would have massive I would do like six hour walks every day around the campus because I was like months ahead on my work. And I was like, I don't know this environment. And then someone else who turned down my job would come by and be like, I can't believe you got a new laptop and you got a new chair. And I was like, well, there was no laptop or chair in the office when I came here. They had to give me a chair. Like I can't, what am I supposed to do? It was like these weird politics things that I didn't understand. And I don't miss that world at all because I can't think of any more boring discussion than talking about chairs and which chair you have and do you deserve a good chair and is your chair better than my chair that's like that would turn this into the most boring podcast episode ever wouldn't it if we started having a chair talk so yep getting fired from there i thought it was a nightmare but it forced me to become an entrepreneur it kicked me out of the nest and i could have gone and gotten another job in teaching again right i could have switched to another school and i was like i don't want to go back i don't want someone else to have the power over me. Because when you get fired, it's not just losing your income. You lose your ability to pay your rent. Now you can't pay for your kid's school. Now you can't pay for food. Like it can be devastating. And I don't want someone else to have that much power over me. That's why my brand is called Serve No Master because I just don't want someone else to be able to hurt my kids by firing me or affecting my financial situation. Like that's really what it means to me on a core level is I want every win and loss to be on my back, not someone else's. And that, that makes sense. Somebody holding the keys to you. I remember, I remember saying that to, um, to a friend of mine years ago, I was an insurance broker and, and I was on about 60 grand a year, which in the UK was a pretty good salary. Um, and uh, there was an old guy in the office who'd built the business and he ended up selling it for like 12 and a half million. And I remember saying, I hate the fact that that old man in there has the key to, if he decides to cut that string, I'm screwed. I'll lose my house, I'll lose my car. So I, one day I got up and walked straight out the door and I was like, I'm done, I'm, I'm not coming back. And I didn't even hand me notice in or anything. And I did lose my house and I did lose my car and I did lose everything. But I um, I learned a lot from it um, and I made a lot of mistakes. And it basically, it was one of them, it was where like, you need to make this decision now while you're young. Because if you don't, once you've got kids, you kind of, you feel like you are stuck then you don't have any option. So have you made any mistakes like that where, you, where you've lost loads or you've you've thought you'd hit the jackpot and then all of a sudden it was like, oh no. <laughs> yeah, I made some poor decisions with business partners and people you work with. That happens to everyone, right? You go, oh, I'm going to work with this person and it's all sunshine and rainbows until they're raiding the bank account and posting bad stuff about you online. And I, that's one of the biggest mistakes I have. There's this thing we have where you go, oh, if it's two of us, we could be twice as successful. What happens is once you start making money, you go, oh, I'm only getting half the money it switches to that thought and you're both going, I work harder than you. I should get happy. And they go, I work hard. You, I should get more of the money. And you don't 
need a partner. You're capable of doing everything on your own. Like I still will partner with someone for a project here, a project there, but this business is just me. It's one captain at the front of the ship. You don't want two captains on any boat or two chefs in the kitchen. So that's my first biggest mistake. The second biggest mistake is when I don't listen to people. Sometimes people get, that's a terrible idea. And for a couple of my projects, someone said, that, I go, no, 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 I'll do it different. And of course you don't, right? You try the same thing. Like if there's no, there's no one else doing your idea, probably it means it's a bad idea. Not that you're the first person to ever think of it. There's very few new brand new original ideas anymore. So those are the two biggest types of mistakes that I've made. Yeah, definitely in the digital. What about, what about staff then? So you don't have any staff, you don't have any team, you just... I've gone as many as 20 employees. At one point, my I was paying $104,000 a year in salary and I was like, what am I doing? I'd rather keep that. You can build a business that requires a lot of staff. And then the problem is, as you go, once you have more than seven employees, then you need to hire middle management and then you can't keep track of everything. And you just end up in a place where if someone's kind of slacking off, it's hard to catch it. And I had a lot of that. And it just, I'm not really good at that. I kept thinking, oh, I have to learn how to run it. I have three people that work for me now. It's not an empty, but it's very, just the best of the best. They get the job done. It's very simple. And that's the place where I'm at. I don't really need a big empire um, because there's not always a correlation between staff and income. I found that with bigger staff, it doesn't mean more money because most of it, I mean, I tried, I tried to make the business not around me, but it is, it's my face signs, my name everywhere. Right. So even with my efforts to be served no master, it's still Jonathan Green. Like it's just, there's no way away from it. So you don't need a large team. I think you can get to a million dollars a year without any employees, maybe with one VA. I think you can hit that number past that. You probably need employees to scale. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we, we, we did that with our first software. In fact, we did that with, with lead generation. Never mind the software. We did that with the lead gen and then we did it with the software. Um, <clears throat> before we ever took in any staff, we've got the staff now, but I think that's because as, as, as I started to get a bit older, I'm getting a bit lazier. In fact, no, I want to spend more time with my kids. So I'm very like, I work 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and then I couldn't do these podcasts and I'm, I'm very, I'm very, um, so have you had any times in your life where you've like had, a, had, had like an epiphany where you've thought, because obviously at the beginning, I'm assuming you had a lot of struggling moments where, where, in fact, have you got any examples of projects, first of all, where you've struggled and you've tried to hit things and you thought, oh, this is amazing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then all of a sudden it's flopped and you've been like, shit. A lot of times there's this mistake people make when they see me or see you, they go, oh, his first idea was a winner. We always think anyone we look up to their first idea was a winner. And I wish that were true, but it was like my 70th idea and my 104th idea were my two winners. There's a lot of bad ones on the way to the one that will work and not everything works for every people. So for every person. So my biggest losers were when I partnered with someone, my first project, I partnered with this guy who was like a friend of a friend. And then he kept doing dumb financial decisions. He's like, well, we have to establish our company in Las Vegas so that we can avoid tax. I'm like, we haven't made any money. Can we make the money and then avoid the taxes? And then he was like, we have to use this bank, which what there wasn't a branch in either of the cities we lived in. I was in Tennessee. He's in Florida. He's like, I have to drive nine hours to open the bank account. And I was like, this, this seems, I was like, I don't, don't do any of these things. And he spent all this money that I kept telling him, don't do it. And he's like, well, I'm going to give up on the project. You have to pay back half the money. I was like, you spent money without my permission. And then of course he went on and released a product that I completely created and made a bunch of money and like kept writing bad stuff about me online. And threatening to sue me until I said, let's just do it. I said, let's just go to court. I'll just, you know, give him all my emails and let's see what happens. And he goes, never mind. Because he'd written like devastating, horrible emails. I would I 
gave me so much stress. I went into the hospital. I thought I was having a heart attack at 31. I had so much really? acid reflux. It had eaten a hole in the back of my esophagus. It was eating towards my heart. And when I got out of the hospital, he goes, does this mean we're going to delay the launch? I was like, oh, you're a monster. Like just a horrible person. And I just missed all the red flags. Like he was, he like, he's like, oh, my last six business partners stole from me. He's on his third marriage. These are red flags. If someone can't, is like going through marriage after marriage and business partner after business partner, it's like, maybe there's a reason eight people had, and now the wife left him as well. Nine different people had left working with this person. So I just ignored all those signs because I didn't know any better. I think, oh, I need someone else. And I realized I had done everything. I created the product, created the sales page, created the traffic. Like he hadn't done anything, but I just thought I needed a person. And removing him from my life was the best decision I made. I don't care about the money he took. I'm just glad that I never have to talk to that person again. Yeah, I, th- I think what, what an entrepreneur, what is good for an entrepreneur is an accountability partner. Uh, I have a guy that called David Casami and him have done a lot of projects together. Um, and we kind of hold each other accountable. So if I, if I, if, if I get on a call with him and he, and, and, I, and he said the week before, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And I'll be like, have you done this, this and this? And, he's, and, 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 and if he says no, I'm like, why the fuck have you not done it? And I, we kind of tell each other off. It's like, why have you not done it? Why have you not done what you said you're going to do? What's wrong with you? And, and it kind of, that spurs you on to the point where you don't want to have that awkward conversation with your friend. But I think, yeah, what, what you've said regarding um, actually, because uh, me and my business partner, I'm very salesy. I'm very out on the road doing all the things and I don't really care about the money side, but he runs the technical side of the business, which I'm not very good at, <laughs> which I'm terrible at. So when you said, you said before about your, um, your, 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 the acid reflux. Hmm. So stress caused you to start getting acid reflux that nearly got through to your heart, but it burned through your, sorry, yeah. what was that? Because I it didn't realize my that. Esophagus so that it was burning and bouncing off the back of my heart, like, like this so much that it mimicked a heart attack. So I went to the emergency room. I was in there all day, massive bill. Of course, I thought I was dying. I thought this was it. And they were like, it's not a heart attack. It just looks like a heart attack. And that's how bad it got. And I, after ending that relationship, I haven't had heart problem in more than 10 years. So sometimes like, was you in pain all the time? Well, I was getting 10 to 20 texts an hour. All of them mean, I mean, on a core level, it was just a mean person. Like that's the best way to say it. Very, very mean. Every mess, everything was my fault. And then I was like, well, what are you doing? He's like, I'm on Facebook networking 12 hours a day. And I was like, I don't think that's a job. Right. And then when we released our product, none of those people sent any traffic. And he sent out this email like saying, Hey, the launch is failing. What should we do to the entire list of affiliates? That's the best way, by the way, if you want to know a way to get every affiliate to run away from your project is to tell them the project is failing. And that was the end of it. Like, I was like, are you insane? Why would you send out that kind of message? So I realized the mistake most people make in internet marketing entrepreneurship is you get two people that have the same skill set or we're both marketers together will be three times more powerful. What you have, which is very wise. Those are the only partnerships that last in this business are we have two completely different spheres of excellence. Yep. We're <clears throat> completely different things. Then it's fine. But if you have two people that are this or two people that are that, and then it's never going to work. So I just think for most people, you don't need a partner. You don't need that an investor, all of those things just add an additional pressure. If you just start out small with a small goal going, oh, I want to increase my revenue by 10%. Okay. Now I want to replace my revenue. Now I want to quit my job. Going in that process, you can do really well without needing a large team or a bunch of partners or other people, because you're capable of more than you realize. 
the one thing I've learned over the last 10 years of having been through some really tough stuff, I've been through some things that I never thought I would survive. And I came out the other side. I was like, wow, I'm capable of anything. And that's kind of the lesson I've learned. That's why I'm not afraid of anything. So really bad things are going to happen. Really big challenges are going to happen. You're stronger than you realize. When did you last have a business partner then? When was the last time you worked with someone else? Yeah. So I tried a project with some partners last year. I found some young TikTokers. I said, guys, I think I can make you into millionaires. The project got really big. And then too soon they started stealing. I was like, guys, you don't steal before the big money. So project blasted away. I was like, guys, you should have waited six more months. Like you stole at the wrong moment and it happened. So, but that's project by project. So I don't do like all my bank accounts, all my companies, my own, I'll just do small projects. I have a partner, Debbie, that I'm doing projects with now in the AI space. Like we made a course together and we partner on that, but we're still separate businesses. We each get a copy of the customer list. We split the money right out the gate. Like it's not a bank account that both, we don't have the same access to the same bank account. Like that's where you really don't want to be because where one of you can raid the bank account. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah, that sounds, um, it, it, especially if you don't trust them, it sounds like a scary situation. Um, so, so with regards to the books, let's, let's, let's jump out of the, the, the entrepreneur. Cause th- this was when, when I realized you'd written 300 books, I was like, holy fucking shit. I was like, I've written a book. So I know how much hard work goes into writing a book, especially if it's a few hundred pages. Um, how, how have you done 300 books? What, how did that even start? So I started out with a blog about my dating life back in 2006, 2007. And I was like, oh, this is just a diary. No one will ever find it. And then a couple of years later with the number one Google resort, for, Google resort for get a girlfriend. And I was getting massive traffic. And I was like, wait, this is a secret diary. So everyone was reading all my stories. I got a phone call from a big company that had written a project called Magic Making Up. It was like a $10 million book, like a direct response book. And they go, hey, would you be willing to write a book for us? We'll pay you a lot of money. And I said, you had me? Yeah, of course. My blog wasn't making any money. It was just about my life. And so I wrote this book for them called Girl Gets Ring. It was about how to get your boyfriend to propose. I think from that book, I've been paid over $100,000 over the last 10 years, which is crazy money, right? For something that I wrote in 35 hours. So I wrote the first draft in 20 hours and then the rewrites in 15 hours. And then they just took it to the races and it's amazing. And I was like, wow, this is, that's how I learned about the world of direct response and how I learned about the world of making money from books. And from there, I got approached by a lot of other people, a lot of big brands that were like, will you make a book for us? Make a book for us. So I mostly did direct response books. Like I've written books about hair loss and diabetes and like some medical disease. I'm not sure if they're real, like the kind of stuff they sell for in Goop, but I was just, whatever project I get, I'm like, yeah, I'll write about that. I'll do research. I'll find multiple studies on it. I'm very good at that. And I did a lot of that in direct response space. And then I wrote a book about potty training. It was supposed to be a project for a ClickBank offer, a direct response offer. It's going to be like a 50 or $60 book. They never released it. I said, hey, if I rewrite it enough that it's not the same book, can I put it on Amazon? This is uh, 2015. And I put the book on Amazon and it becomes a bestseller. It was a number one book on potty training for a year. One of the big five spent a million. They spent a million dollars marketing another book to push mine down the charts. I was like, well, I'm not spending that. (laughs) And so... (laughs) And I didn't know, I didn't know it was supposed to be the hardest category. So it just dominated the charts really well for me. And I'm always writing books for clients and myself because it's just what I'm good at. I can't stop myself. Every time I go, I'm not taking more ghostwriting clients. I just start blogging too much. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to write either. I'm going to write on my blog or I'm going to get paid a lot of money to write a book for someone else. So I've written, I write for like four or five pen names of my own stuff. And then I have a lot of clients I've written for over the last um, seven or eight years. 
I love writing. I can't stop myself. Even when I, I've had a lot of problems with my vision. I have a lot of problems with blindness. So I had to learn how to dictate. So I was like, oh, I'll learn a process where I can still support my family, even if my eyes go out. Unfortunately, I haven't had an incident in a few years, but I have gone blind for a whole day before where I'm like, I don't know if it's coming back. So you think that's very diet. That's the eye thing is something separate. I don't know where that comes from, but I've had a lot of like it has I haven't had an incident in like four or five years. So it's been really good for a while. But when I was really stressed out and putting in like 14 hours a day grinding on the computer, it just adds up. Like you just abuse your body. It's just what's gonna happen. So I learned I switched to dictation after um in 2016, 2017, maybe 2017 I switched. It was really hard because dictation software, let's be honest, it's bad. They're like, oh, we have an error rate of we're 95% correct. I was like, well, one out of every 20 words is wrong. That's a mistake <laughs> sentence. When you look at it that way, wait, one mistake, every sentence is a lot. So I tried having full-time transcriptionists. I tried using things. Now software is so good with AI. It's like 99.9% accurate. So I can Which get software everything. software do you use now for the dictation? I used a script. I used a script. I love it. Um, I was script. a script. Yeah, I love it so much. Beta tester for it. it I use it for every project. I'm a big fan. I've got Descript. I've just, I don't, I've never tried it for dictation. We we tried Otter AI for a while and, and Google Transcript, the one on the, on Google Docs. That one was, that one was kind of my best one. Uh, but Descript is, is, is that good? Yeah. So I've tried a lot of them. It's the best. They keep adding features. Like now it does like video editing, all these other things. And I, if I forget to say a word, I can type it in. It will add it and it will sound like me. It can do stuff like that. I just use it for transcription. It's really, really highly accurate. And if there's, Let's say it's like 99% of the way there. I can then copy and paste it into ChatGPT and it will take it across the finish line and be error-free. So do you use ChatGPT for all your research now? I don't use it for research, but I use it for editing. I use it for conversations. ChatGPT will lie to you. That's why that lawyer got in trouble. If you say to ChatGPT, I want this result, prove it. It will lie to you because it doesn't want to ever disappoint you. So oh, you can... The mistake is if you know if you put your thumb on the scale, you're in danger. So like that lawyer, a lawyer got in trouble because he said, "Oh, I want cases that prove X." And so it goes, "Okay, here's five. And then he goes, "Are these real?" And he goes, "Yeah, of course they're real." Because it only thinks one prompt at a time and it always wants the thumbs up from you. So that's the one thing you, it can't do. Everything else it's great at. If you want to write creative stories, if you go, "Oh, like what happened to George Washington with the tree? It will tell you that as long as you don't say, oh, I want proof for this. It's great. That's the one mistake it makes. So it's not like Google because it wants you to like it like a puppy dog, but I use it for ideas. I use it for editing. I use it for conversations. Um, I probably use it. I mean, I do use it every single day. I probably use it 50% of every day. I'm doing something with Chad GBT now. I mean, it's ridiculously cheap as well. It's like $20 a month or something. Isn't it? I know me and all my staff use it. Um, we use it and then we take the content out of it and we take it into another tool and we click a button that makes it human so that it'll rank in Google because Google can obviously tell it's been written by a, by a, um, an AI. But I always, I remember when, when it first started doing the chat GPT four came out and you got the web pilot bit. And I remember thinking, shit, man, for research, this is brilliant. Now it's, now it's live, but I never realized that it actually lies to you. Yeah. So the way it's written is it thinks one prompt at a time. So it never thinks you're going to ask another question. They're trying okay. to change the algorithm to fix that, but that's the way it thinks. So just like my, one of my kids, if I go, Hey, did you, did you hide your sister's toy? He's going to lie, right? Like he's going to lie because he doesn't want to get in trouble. That's how it is. 
So as long as you avoid that, where it knows what answer you're looking for, then you can do research. But as soon as you say, because what I used to do is ask, I'm like, oh, I'm looking for something where this happened. And then I said, wait, give me your sources. And it'll give me the links. And they're all 404s, like eight links that are all fake. So that's when I knew maybe they'll fix that, but it's good for everything else. And you can tell it to pass. I It passes every AI test when I use it. So I just tell it, add these features. I say, make the sentences short and long back and forth, and then write complicated and simple sentences back and forth. As long as you do that, then it sounds like a human. That's how they test for AI. If every sentence is the same length and if it uses like a specific reading level. Yeah. There's like a mathematical equation, which it uses to write and it puts certain words after other words and things like that. I don't understand it, but I know my dev team had to understand it. To, they created a software for us where we just click a button and it just literally breaks. It just breaks the AI. That's all it does. I don't know how it does it. I just know it breaks the AI and it's like, wow, that's cool. We can use that for loads of stuff now. Um, so with, with, let, let, let me take you back to the books first. So when you're writing a book, you won't use the chat GPT at all for the research. You You do the actual research physically via Google still. Yeah, I don't do as many like medical books and stuff anymore because when you're doing anything medical, you have to find two studies to back up every claim. That's like the yep. rule. And that's a huge amount of work. So I haven't done that in a while. What I do now for clients is usually someone wants to write their flagship book or tell their story. So what I'm really good at is interviewing. I will interview someone and I can find the shine. I can find the part of them that's amazing. So I was working with Project earlier this year with someone. I was like, man, this, he's not likable yet. I have to make him likable. And finally, we found a story from his childhood, like six interviews in. I go, this is it. And I have this feeling when I, I ask the right question, he starts telling the story and I go, this is going to make the book amazing. And I feel like really good. I'm like, I'm so good at this. Like when you're doing it great, you just have that good feeling. Like when you're running a race and winning, yep. I had such a good feeling. And I'm working on a book now with someone who has a very really complicated system that I'm simplifying because it's really going to help a lot of people. It's really amazing. And it's like his flagship book to launch another part of his business. I love doing that. I love when someone has a story they want to tell and I'm just translating it. So I do a bunch of interviews. I ask the right questions because I get easily bored. So as soon as it gets boring, I ask a different question that changes subject. That's why the books aren't boring. I'm like, oh, this is boring for me. It'd be boring for the reader. That, that's a test I use. So I do... For client work, it's almost all that where it comes almost all from me interviewing them, recording it, putting it into a script, chopping it up into the structure of a book. And then once it's in an order, then I just go through and just clean it up. But I want it to sound as much like them as possible. So the more of their original words I can use, the better. My job is to really guide them through the interview, ask the right questions, follow the interesting, and then create a really good story structure that's interesting. So will, when you put it into Descript, will you actually record it on like a dictaphone and then put it into Descript and let Descript transcribe it? Or do you transcribe it straight into the computer? So I either do a video like this where I record the whole thing, or if it's in person, I have a recorder with me that's just audio, and then I upload the file to Descript. Okay. Sorry, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being selfish now. I'm asking you this questions that will answer. help. I love it. With the writing, I, I really like writing. I'm just, the time always seems to be, when, when you've got a computer on your lap, there's never any, any additional time. So it kind of, it's nice to be able to save time doing it. So what, what, business-wise, what's been your biggest achievement? We'll move on to the AI stuff in a minute, but, but what, what's sure. been your biggest achievement over, over, over the years, whether, whether it's been financially or whether it's something that you're super proud of? So... My biggest winner was a couple of years ago, I had a revelation that not every author is my enemy. So I'm always, I've always thought of books as zero sum. If I go up, someone else has to go down, right? I've always thought of it that way. And then I was like, 
I literally read every, if there's a book that comes out with a robot on the front, I'm reading it. I read science fiction. I'm the lowest common denominator. Even when I can tell the book was written originally in Russian by a VM, like I still like the story. I'm going with you. That's me. And I said, you know what? Most people don't read more, read more than one book on business or more than one book on relationships or more than one book on whatever. So once I had that revelation, I started reaching out to other authors and saying, Hey, let's do a cooperative venture. Like, um, a couple of weeks ago, it was Prime Day. And so I got together almost 100 authors and we all promoted each other's books and everyone shot to the top of the charts. Like a, 50 books became bestsellers for the first time because we were all doing crossover. And I, that was my biggest game changer, realizing you could do cooperative ventures. Because like in the past, I was like, I'm not promoting other people's products. I don't want anyone to know even other marketers exist. I was so of that mindset of I want it to be just a walled garden. You only know me. You meet me through my books. You see my products. I'm the only world. And my revelation was like, no, there can be cooperative ventures because like, if I share my book with one author and they share their audience with me, we don't, I'm not going to lose my super fans. I'm going to lose the people that were about to leave the mailing list anyways. And then they go find the right person because I'm not the right person for everyone. Some people, they want to hear from a woman. Someone want to hear from an older guy or a younger guy. It doesn't matter. So if I'm not the right fit, I want to bring you to the right fit. And then what happens is you're like falling gets reinvigorated because you've brought in, you've traded your 10 bottom for 10 people at the top that are super fans. And it is a win for both of you. So that's the biggest thing I've ever learned um, as far as business, my biggest revelation. That really accelerated my business. When I, had, when I realized that, my business 7X the next year. Oh shit. Right. That's a big old difference then. Yeah. And with, with regards to, 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 to now, obviously you've gone through uh, your ups and your downs, you've sacked all your partners off, you've written hundreds of books, which is, which is brilliant. And then now you're into AI. Tell us a bit about your AI. So I just watched, I was watching all these videos about AI about six or eight months ago and everyone was missing the point. Like they were like, it can, it, every video is either super technical and boring and no one's going to want to follow it or look at this cool thing AI can do that there's no way to monetize, right? Like everyone's always showing AI to video and it's always like a seizure video. It always makes me dizzy because it's like flashing constantly. It's not like, it doesn't look good, right? You'd never want to watch it. So I said, I bet there's a room for a space in here for practicality. What if I just use AI as a tool? And as I began to use AI tools, I realized it's just an accelerant. It's the same way that a calculator makes you faster with math. It doesn't replace you, but it can make you faster. And the biggest killer in entrepreneurship is the sunk cost fallacy, which is where you chase a bad idea for too long and you do something for six months and you make, the worst thing is if you make a little bit of money, you go, oh, I can make more. I'll do it another three months and another three. And now it's 12 months on a bad idea because you don't want to admit you wasted you wasted six months saying, oh, I learned from this idea. So you get stuck. And the other danger is if you have a good idea, but it takes you a really long time to implement, well, then you have to do a bunch. Like I had this uh, friend of mine who was convinced, he had this travel book idea that he thought was a good idea. I go, I don't think that's a good idea. And he goes, the only way it works is if I launch 10 books at the same time. So I have to hire 10 authors in 10 cities. He spent twenty dollars to $50,000 putting all these books out and then nobody wanted them which is unfortunate, but it was the only way he could find out if it was a good idea. He had to double down in this way. Whereas now, if I have an idea, I can do it very quickly. So I was, I turned in the rough draft for the client I work with right now. And while he was reading the rough draft of his book, I was like, why don't I just write a chat GPT book? So I wrote that in eight days. And I was like, this is taking me so long. I was really annoyed that it took me that long, which to most people is very fast, but I like to do, I was like, I can do this in one day. And I couldn't because I had to write a lot of by hand instead of dictation because I'm describing prompts and responses. But 
I can do it fast with ChatGPT. So things that used to take me six weeks now take me two hours. So if I have an idea, I can put together a coloring book with ChatGPT and MidJourney, my art generator, create the cover, create the design, create the images, and have it from idea to formatted and published and on Amazon within two hours, which it used to take me six weeks of hiring an artist. And then if I don't like an image, I can't get him to do another one of it. It's a whole thing. I bypass all of that. So any idea you have, you can do faster. If you want to do e-commerce, the research is really hard. Well, ChatGPT is great at spreadsheet analysis. You can say, here's the type of products I'm looking for. I want it to sell this many units a month and less than this many. I want this much margin, like profit margin. I want this kind of volume and this kind of price because I can only, I can't afford to buy 50 of a thousand dollar product, but I can buy 50 of a $10 product and test it. And it will just analyze the spreadsheet in like a millisecond. So things that used to take a long time, or if you're doing e-commerce, you have to do like a bunch of descriptions. Well, you can do a spreadsheet where each column is a different part of the Amazon listing and it does it for you in seconds. Now you can test 50 products in a single day instead of spending a whole day writing a description for each product. So all of these areas that used to take a long time you're just faster with ChatGPT, right? You can write a blog post faster. You could write a product description. Like when I'm writing, the hardest thing about writing a book is you have to write the Amazon book description. It has to be an HTML. It has these different rules that they're changing them all the time. Like you can't use H1, H2, or H3 tag anymore. So you can't do like the really big headline text. They just do four, five, six. So they changed that rule a few years ago. I could just say, ChatGPT, here's the HTML that's allowed on Amazon. Write a book description. And we'll write a really cool one in HTML. I just copy and paste. Saves me a massive amount of time for all these different areas that used to be slow, now I could just do them fast. So with ChatGPT, I can do five days of work in four days a week. So it's very clickbaity then it, as well. The, I'm assuming the description and that will be like, oh, people, it'll get them intrigued. It'll, I'm assuming, so is that based around the prompt then? I'm assuming, because yes. if you put the wrong prompt in, you're going to get the wrong out, aren't you? It's like... Absolutely. So my entire job and the whole idea of a prompt engineer is to write prompts that get the result you want consistently. So if you ask a dumb question, you'll get a dumb answer from ChatGPT, just the way it is, right? Garbage in, garbage out. So the first thing I'll teach you, this will this is a game changer for prompts. Say to ChatGPT, I want to write a book description. What information do you need from me to make an amazing description? If you do it that way, it will tell you what it needs. Um, I was working on a project with a copywriter. It's like, oh, I'm teaching people to copyright with ChatGPT. And one of the fill in the blanks was cu- ideal customer. I was like, most people don't know their ideal customer. For a beginning marketer, that's a tough question. Yep. I still find it difficult. I said, why don't you just do it this way? ChatGPT, I want to figure out who my ideal customer is. What information do you need from me? And it asks seven to nine questions. And you can say, ask one at a time. And you ask a question, you give an answer, ask another question. And it will keep asking you questions until it has enough information. It'll go, great. Now I know. And, go, and it wrote for me the best customer, like ideal customer description I've ever seen. I was like, I've been doing this for 13 years and it just blew me away. And I was just doing it as a demo. So by asking it this way and seeing it, because it's, again, conversa- they call it conversational AI, but we don't think of it that way. We think command response, command response, because that's how we're trained. But if you just say, what information do you need to do a great job? It will tell you and you get a much better response. So if, I'm, so if, I, if I've got a software product that I'm trying to sell mm-hmm. and I tell it what the software product does mm-hmm. and tell it, this is the target market I've been going after in the past. What is a better target market for me to go after? You think, Chat GPT will actually ask me questions and then come back and tell me what's the best market for my products. Yeah. If you just say, what information do you need from me to come up with another market I should move into? 
fucking hell. Yeah, because finding a tag, that's the problem. I mean, one of the biggest problems, not just with writing books and stuff, because we're talking about, obviously, you do it, do it from, from an off, off perspective, but selling products, I own four different softwares. And finding the right customer and the right market that's actually got enough space in it where I can jump in and say, right, I want 3,000 customers by this time next year paying me a monthly subscription. Um, and then you get into an industry, like one of them is a mass page tool. Uh, mass page, unless you introduce somebody to the industry and then teach them about it, nobody knows it exists. Um, and, and, and that sort of, so there's, it's a very small close-knit community and, and only SEOs tend to know about it, which, but there's got to be, I'm, I can't wait to start testing what we've been talking about today. <laughs> Let's see if I can get myself some customers. So it, what, what's one of the biggest mistakes you see people um, doing when, when, when either asking ChatGPT what to do or tell it what to do? Sure. They just, the first mistake is they don't ask questions and so they give it bad things. The second mistake is that ChatGPT doesn't know good from bad. Example, if you say, ChatGPT, write me a sales letter for this product, it's going to be so cheesy. This is because it doesn't know if a product sold well or not. So it reads every sales page in the whole internet, and then it uses whatever happened the most. And what's true, most sales pages are bad, right? Most sales pages never sold anything, but ChatGPT doesn't know bestseller from a bad one. What you want to do is create a guide rail and say, here's the limitation. For example, I can say, I want you to write a sales page for this in the style of, and I'll give it the name of a copywriter. And yep. if you go, well, I don't know any copywriters, easy. Go, ChatGPT, who are the best 50 copywriters of all time? I don't want to know the 50 best copywriters. I want to know the 50 copywriters that ChatGPT knows the most about. As soon as I say write in the style of this copywriter, it creates these really tight guide rails. And you can tell. If I tell it in the name of different copywriters, it, it will write five sales pages that are each very distinctly in the style of that copywriter and immediately removes all the bad. It just limits it out. So that's where you get the real magic is by saying, first, I need to pre-prompt by saying, I want you to write in this style. I want you to do in this way. Whereas you can say, I want to write a science fiction book. Now you've created a rail. If you say, I want to write a love story. I want to write a romance novel. You're creating rails. And the tighter the rails, the now it uses a small subset of really good data instead of the massive lot of, let's be honest, bad data, right? Most stuff on the internet has no traffic. So I don't want that. I want the good stuff. So you don't use it for research, but you use it for analyzing data and it's genius yes. at analyzing data. Yes. Ah, that's, 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 that's really handy. So you literally can download spreadsheets, massive spreadsheets from like Amazon, for example. Yes. And then you basically, how do you share the spreadsheet with it? Um, so there's plugins now, so it's always changing which one works, but usually you just want a Google sheet and you'll just okay. send it, the, you make the Google sheet open like anyone who has the link can view and you give it that link and it will analyze the sheet for you there's also ways to actually put chat gpt in the sheet and you can have it do formulas inside the sheet both of those exist now and they're free and the same thing for like if i want to analyze a book i'll put the book as a pdf on google drive and then i'll just give it the link and it can read the whole book that way so we can read google drive now because i've tried to get it to read my websites in the past and ask it to do things and it never it always so, says sorry we can't look it comes and goes with that. It was able to do it for a while, then it wasn't. So they've that's always coming and going. But with the plugins, consistently they have access to Google Drive link as long as it's shared public. So the the plugin I use changes every week because it's that one works and it stops working, then another one works. But that's exactly how you can do it. So it can analyze spreadsheets and analyze PDFs right now. What type of businesses are you working with right now then on this? I mean, obviously authors, but what else? What other people are you working with on AI and stuff like that? 
Yeah. So I help a lot of people who are trying to find their feet online to figure out this space and to see that AI is kind of optional right now. It's hot right now, but it's going to be mandatory in about two to three years. Because imagine you're hiring an accountant. They go, I don't, I'm an accountant, but I don't use spreadsheets. What? Just, yep. People are going to see that the same way with AI tools in a couple of years. They're going to become ubiquitous. So what I help people mostly with is seeing that everything you need to do, like anything you'd pay someone to do on Fiverr, you can do with AI now faster and for free, like anything, whether it's cover design or graphics or images or writing a book or writing an article or designing an email you're going to send to someone who asked to be on their podcast, all of that now. Every time I want to build a software, like I'm always messing with software. I hire some, I try to hire someone on Fiverr and it's a nightmare, right? You go through back and forth and I finally go, you know what? So I'll give you an example is um, with coloring books, you can't use, no book formatting software works for coloring books. So you have 40 images and in between each image, you need a blank page because the back, people like to color in, cut out the page, put it on the wall. So you have to have yep. an image, black page. And then your images are all different sizes. So I said to ChatGPT, I want to write a piece of software that's formatted coloring book for me. And it wrote me a Python script. I didn't know what Python was. I then had to learn about it and install it. And what it does is it will take 40 images from a folder, resize them with the correct borders and trim so that it's a, it will print on Amazon, put a blank page in between each one. And it takes it about five minutes to do it when I click one button. And it manual process is a two-hour process. So it wrote that software for me. Um, have another software that resizes every image to the width I need to put into another software I use. So like all these things that used to be hard, Jadji, you could write software and it works the first time. So anything you want to do, it can do. You just have to ask a question the right way. So I really help people who, with any type of online business, who are going, I want to be faster. I want to catch more of my time back. And I want to make sure that I don't get passed by the AI wave. So if an accountant came to you and he wanted to speed up his business, I mean, the an analysis of businesses' accounts is a case of saying to you, all of your clients, right, we're not yes. going to use all this fancy software anymore. Instead, we're going to use Google Sheets. <laughs> and then the accountant says, work out all this shit for me and tell me how much tax he's got to pay. You can have it. And not only that, you can have it write um, formulas. Like I mm -hmm. always have to Google how to do this formula, that formula. It can do any formula you want. It will write the perfect formula for you because it read, you know, those really long, how to use Excel books that no one wants to read because they're 500 pages. It just knows all of that. So anything you want to do with data or analyze it, it can do. So it just allows you to be faster. A lot of those other tools, they're still helpful, right? But at the end of the day, spreadsheets is how most financial data. So for someone who's an accountant, they can analyze data a lot faster. Imagine you're on a phone call with a client. They're going, well, how much money did I make last month, right? Instead of having to do it all, you just type in a chat, it gives you the answer, right? Or you can have a private AI tool because it's financial data that's not online. So you can also have a secure form of data that is local and you can analyze the data and pull up data faster. And that's very helpful. In the same way, if you're on a sales call, you can have it help you with what, how do I answer this objection? I'm getting this objection. What should I say? And it will actually give you really good answers. So this, what you're talking about now, do you actually do this for businesses or do you teach them how to do it themselves? I teach people how to do it. So um, I just do teaching. I don't do consulting or client work. The only client work I do is ghostwriting because I love writing. But what I teach people how to do is how to do it and how to understand like prompt engineering, how to understand communicating to chat. And sometimes I'll write people custom prompts that match their need but I really show them the language of chat GPT and then it becomes easy. So they can do this easy so they can kind of scale the businesses and automate. Cause I know with all my team, I've had to say to all my team, every single person needs to use chat GPT and they're like, but why I can do it like this. It's like, because if one person has to use chat GPT properly, okay, they can do the work of 10 of you guys in one day. 
and and that costs nothing. <laughs> uh, whereas, so it's kind of like everybody in the in the organization needs to understand and know how to use ChatGPT. So we're all using it to a not a very good degree. So if people want to work with you, where, where would they go? How would they get in touch with you? Have you got links that we can share below the videos yeah. and stuff like that? Or the first place you can go is servedmaster.com forward slash AI. That's where I talk about AI on my website. And you can see a link to my book, ChatGB Profits, which really covers a lot of what we've talked about here. It kind of goes to the next level to get an understanding of the different things you can do and not do with ChatGPT. Once you understand, oh, it's good at this, not good at this, then you go, well, I want to learn this specific thing because everyone kind of has a different need. The way to see it is really, it's a tool like a calculator. It just makes you faster, but it doesn't replace you. So a lot of people think, oh, it's going to replace like VAs and people in foreign countries. It's the exact opposite. It's just going to make them better, right? Just like you want. Yep. Imagine if each of your VAs was 10 times better. Amazing. I love it. So that's what it's really great for. And the key is to learn the language of ChatGPT. It doesn't take a long time. You can learn it in one to two days, but you just have to start figuring out, here's how it works. Once you figure out, ask it questions and guide rails, you're 90% of the way there, to be honest with you. Those are going to be game changers for anyone who's just starting to use it. Because you can say, I want to do this. What's the best way to do it? And it will teach you and will tell you what you need to learn to get better at it. Can you think of any industry where you can improve a business using AI? Not right now. Because every single use case I've tried, from coaching to software development to security, there's a great story. Early on, someone wrote to ChatGPT, hey, what are the 10 banks with known security flaws in their software? And then it said, write me the software to break through. And it did. That's when they had to change one of the rules. Like someone had a really good idea. So even wow. the craziest thing, like financial security, because you can have it like pen test. You're, hey, test my security. See if there's any weaknesses in our code. A really interesting thing you can do is contracts. If you're a lawyer or you don't have a lawyer, you can say, read this contract. Tell me what, what are the 10 things that are the trickiest thing about this contract? What are the 10 things I need to work at? Or in crypto with a smart contract, you know, someone, all it takes is one line that you missed. So you can say, hey, what are the 10 things I need to look at of this thousand page document? And it will highlight the things that need human checking. So it can help you in like really disparate areas. So you said it written software for you as well before. So, so, so do you think you could get it to write a piece of software that says, go and analyze every single um, like crypto wallet address. And if you find one that's got any crypto in it, transfer it to this, <laughs> this wallet address. You think that that that, that could work? Because they're just that's just data that's public on the internet. Everybody's wallet is public, so, isn't it? So I know it can do a lot of the big data analysis to find. You could probably say find every crypto address and figure out who you think is the owner of that address. It could probably do that. I don't know. I just have no idea how to steal money from a crypto wallet. So that part I wouldn't know if it can do it or not. But it certainly they've. They tried to make it not write naughty software anymore, but in the original, you could say, oh, write one of those things that you send someone, they click a link and it breaks into their crypto. It would have done that before. So there is oh, a dark shit. side to it that's like crazy, but that's not what I want to teach you how to do. That's like not the right use case. The really good use <laughs> case. see is, my evil, my little evil one on I this know. show. Oh my God. <laughs> so it can do, but you can, let's say that's your target audience. You could message every one of those people and say, hey, your wallet's not secure. Here's my wow. software that helps you provide your security. So now you have a huge audience. It's kind of like people used to say that like those antivirus companies were probably the ones releasing viruses for computers. So you could be like that where you Definitely could warn were. people. You could warn people and say, hey, listen, you're, th this happened, right? Your wallet's public, this. And then you could still build a great business just by being on the good side. But you could send an email out to everybody in your address box saying, um, say, write me a, a script that everybody that opens this, it actually writes 
it goes to everybody in their address book, writes them an email with this sales page. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with a million people opening your fucking sales letter. Yeah. I mean, it can write computer viruses because it was for a while. I don't think it does anymore. They've added it. They've gated it to stop that. But there's free AIs and there's open source AIs that can do almost anything, right? But the thing is, it's like, you know, Google has now changed from using like metrics to using AI to analyze content. So all that happens is there's going to be offensive and defensive AIs. It's just another phase of that kind of bad guy, good guy confrontation. The eternal battle between good and evil. It's awesome, isn't it? It's scary, but it's awesome. And it's and, and then it's scary again. And then it's on. It's like, do I love it? Do I hate it? I don't know. But I know that every single business out there needs it. Every single business has to use it. They've got no choice. If you don't, you're going to fall behind the people that are using it. And then what's going to happen is you're going to get left behind. You're going to go out of business and they're going to give you a job working for them, probably operating their AI. So <laughs> if you're interested in AI, which you should be, especially if you run a business, uh, Jonathan Green's the expert at that. And you can contact him at, is it servenomaster.com? Com? Yep, that's me. Every result serve if you no Google it, it's me. Serve no master. Okay. Serve no master.com. That's absolutely an awesome domain name. Um, I remember the first time we ever spoke and I, and your name had come up on the thing as serve no master. And I was like, is that your real name? <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> but it's a, it's a cool brand. Nobody will forget it. Um, Jonathan, I really want to thank you for coming on. It's been awesome speaking to you, mate. I really, really enjoyed today. Guys, Go over to servenomaster.com if you want to work with with Jonathan, get him to teach you how to use AI um, and then implement it in your business, become more productive um, and make more money. And I will see you all next week with another amazing entrepreneur. Thank you very much, everyone. And I will see you all next week. Cheers. Bye-bye.